Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. Today we continue listening to a presentation given by Dr. James White at a Compassionate Boldness Conference sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry back in 2009. We had several very qualified speakers at this Salt Lake City event, and many topics pertinent to the subject of Mormonism were given. James was one of the plenary speakers, and I asked him if he would specifically speak on the reliability of the New Testament since Mormons are led to believe that New Testament texts have been transmitted badly over the centuries. I think you will agree that he did an excellent job, and despite the fact that we only have the audio and cannot see what he included in his PowerPoint presentation, much of what he covers will be a big help in discussing this subject with your Mormon friends. And now, Dr. James White's Can We Trust the New Testament? Responding to Article 8 until modern years, all scholars agreed together that the vast majority of variation is simply something called scribal errors. Uh, it is only with people like Barterman and others that uh, they're now trying to exegete these scribal errors and turn them into something else. But what, what do I mean by scribal errors? We need to recognize even the 4,000 number needs to be understood. Even when the variant does impact the reading, in the large majority of instances, the careful student of the text can see which reading is original. Many of these errors involve common scribal errors, mistakes that we continue to make to this very day when copying from one text to another. Here is an important example from the history of the New Testament itself. Here we have, uh, and if you have your Bible, feel free to take a look at it. In the King James Version of the Bible, 1 John 3, 1, we read, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 1 John 3.1. Now compare that with almost any modern translation, other than the New King James, which is based upon the same text, called the Textus Receptus, as the King James. Uh, almost any other translation is going to be based upon the modern Greek text, either the uh, Nestle 26th or 27th edition of the Greek New Testament. And so, for example, the New American Standard says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Now again, for the men in the audience who are colorblind, the phrase, and such we are, is in red. That is found in the NASB, ESV, NIV, Holman Christian Standard, all the other translations you would have. But it won't be found in the King James and the New King James. Why? Well, sometimes, unfortunately, when people speak on this subject, uh, they decide that, uh, well, this is because, um, you know, if, if I didn't like the King James, I'd go, well, that's because these Anglicans that translated the King James, which was an Anglican translation, obviously, Church of England, uh, between 1604 and 1611, uh, King James was in charge of it, and they didn't like adoption of, into family of God. You know those Anglicans today, they're a bunch of heretics, and so uh, uh, they didn't like adoption in the family of God, blah, 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 blah. And the King James folks do the same thing in reverse on other verses. We can look at them as well. That's not why. It's real simple. The King James translators are translating the Greek text in front of them. 
the New American Standard translators are translating the Greek text in front of them, and there's a difference between the two. And it's a very simple and easy to recognize difference. Let me show you what the difference is. The modern texts contain an important phrase affirming our adoption as children of God. This is a glowing example of what is called homoi teluton. Homoi teluton. Now, you all repeat that. Homoi teluton. Okay, you're all going to win Bible trivia next time you play it, okay? Just make sure you go for the textual critical area. Homoi teluton, which means similar endings. Uh, think how many times you have been copying a word ending with combinations such as ing, T-I-O-N, E-S, common grammatical endings in the, in the English language. And when looking back at what you are copying, have mistakenly started with a different word that had the same ending. I bet you this is something that Sandra can tell you about because they must have had to copy out of a lot of LDS books over the years and have to keep checking and checking and checking because it's so easy for the mind to do this. The same thing happened in Greek. Here is the Greek of 1 John 3.1. Here is the information as found in the uh, Logos Bible software. And the difference is found right here. The word is chi esmen, which means and we are. Now, the problem is that looks nice and clear. It's easy to read Greek in that form. You can read Greek anyways. But that's not how the New Testament was written. The original New Testament manuscripts, you can see here that we've got uh, that's a, you know, there's an accent mark here, and there's an accent mark there, and a smooth breather there, and there's space between the words, and there's a comma, and there's a period, and all the rest of that stuff. That's not how they wrote Greek in the first century. So let me show you what it looked like originally. It's right there. That's what it looked like originally. You're going, uh, where did the punctuation go? There isn't any. All right, but where are the spaces between the words? There isn't any. For the first 800 years of the transmission of the text, the kind of manuscript that we have is called an uncial text. All capitals, no space between words. Think about that for just a moment. It's a little bit harder to read. All capitals, no spaces between words. And obviously, looking at this, you can see exactly why the variant arose, so we can go on, right? Not really. Okay, let me show you where it came from. Here is the word. Here's God. God was uh, abbreviated back then. It's called a nomina sacra. There's kleithomen, kai s men. The end of the word that we might be called ends with mu epsilon nu. The last three letters of and we are is mu epsilon nu. So what's happening is you're copying along. You write o men. Your eye goes back to what you're copying, and you see this men, and so you start here, and you inadvertently, not because Anglicans are heretics, not because you got something against adoption as sons of God or anything like that, but because your eye, your mind just wrote this, it comes back and sees that, and you continue on down the line. It is a standard, simple, scribal error. I've made that very same kind of error, I don't know how many times, sitting in my air-conditioned office with a computer and LASIK. <laughs> the scribes did not have air conditioning, fluorescent lights, a computer, and they certainly didn't have LASIK. So that's where the variation comes from. A scribe, upon copying, called Clay Thoman, returned his eyes to the exemplar and saw the following S-men resulting in the error. We can recognize these types of scribal errors very easily in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. Okay. So, 
going back to just the facts. If we have time, I'll show you another one later, but I don't know that I will have time. The majority of the 5,700-plus Greek manuscripts date from after 1000 A.D., comprising what's called the majority text. So when we talk about 5,700 manuscripts, that's a lot of manuscripts. But obviously, the bulk of them are coming from after 1000 A.D. Now, that's a fair amount of time between the writing and those later manuscripts. Now, it should be pointed out that we have manuscripts that date to within 100 years of their original writings of the New Testament. The average classical work of the time, the time period between when the book was written and our first documentary evidence is between five and 900 years. That's how different the New Testament is. The New Testament has a much better manuscript tradition than any of those. But we need to admit the majority of the 5,700-plus Greek New Testament manuscripts date from after 1000 A.D. The earlier texts are called papyri text, written in unseal or majuscule text, that is the all-capital text that we were just looking at. Papyri refers to the kind of material they were written on. Uh, papyrus is a reed that grows along the Nile. When you open it up, you can flatten it out, put it at 90-degree angles, press it together, and create, in essence, the ancient version of paper. Be very smooth on one side, less smooth on the other where the veins of the plant were. Unsealed text, all capital forms, no spacing, no punctuation. We already saw that. Now, this gives you an idea of the relative numbers of manuscripts and also the centuries, second century, third, fourth, fifth, so on through the 16th. You can see where the majority of these manuscripts come from is this time period right here. And they are all very similar to one another because they all have the Byzantine text type. Why? Real simply, something called Islam. In the middle of the 7th century, Islam begins to expand out of Arabia. It takes over North Africa, goes up into Spain, isn't stopped by Charles Martel until 732 in France. Also starts its inexorable move toward Constantinople. And eventually, even then, Constantinople is, is uh, defeated in the 15th century. And so the places where Greek manuscripts that had a different textual type were being produced were overrun at that period of time. And Islam has never really been good for the production of the manuscripts of the New Testament, then or today, for that matter. Here is Ryland's 475. This is manuscript P52. Many of you have seen this. Scholars uh, at least are agreed that this is an extremely early manuscript. Many scholars believe this is the earliest fragment of the New Testament that we possess. The wonderful irony, and I think God does have a sense of humor, because when you think about all the things that a poor little piece of papyri has to survive to make it for 2,000 years, I mean bugs and rainstorms and floods and everything else, that this has survived this long is really fun because if you are familiar with church history, you know that back in the, in the late 1700s, in the, in the middle 1800s, it was very, very common, especially in German critical schools, to think that the Gospel of John was written two, three hundred years after Jesus. Since it has such a high view of Jesus, it must have evolved over time. And so for a long time, the assured results of scholarship was that John was written long, long, long after the time of Jesus, 170 to 200, even, even into the next century after that. And so a lot of people believe that for a long time. Of course, guess what P52 is from? It's of the Gospel of John. It's a tiny little thing. It's only about yay big. It's written on both sides. It's from John 18, 31 through 33, and then 37 through 38 on the back side. It is written in a codex form, the way we write today with printing on both sides of the paper, not written as a scroll. Almost all Christian scriptures were written in a codex form, not on scrolls. 
You can sort of see here, as I transition into it, how the text originally flowed around uh, P52, uh, as we would read the text today. It's obviously fragmentary. We don't have the entirety of the text. It is just a small little fragment. Here's another. I saw this page uh, from P72 in Denver in 1993 during the papal visit. It was a part of the Vatican Treasures exhibit. Uh, I saw there was going to be a page from P72, which is the earliest manuscript we have of First and Second Peter and Jude. Uh, in fact, this is such a clear scan, and our graphics are so clear now on the overhead. You can see here the Petru Epistolae Bay. So there is the title right there, the second epistle of Peter. So here is the end of the first epistle of Peter, the beginning of second Peter right here. I, I almost got myself in deep trouble because this was under glass in a hermetically sealed case, and I'm sitting there drooling on it. And you got to realize there are crowns and jewels and diamonds and all the rest of it. I could care less about any of that stuff. I'm just sitting here looking at this. I'm going, oh, look. And my friend Rich Pierce, the president of Alpha Omega Ministries, is with me. And I said, look, look, there's a Granville Sharp construction. Because in 2 Peter 1, 1, there's a Granville Sharp construction that identifies Jesus as God and, and all the rest of the stuff. And I'm sitting here translating it. And Rich is standing over here, and people would come up, and they'd, they'd sort of look at it, and they'd, they'd look up at the description, and they'd look over at me, and they'd bend over, and they'd say to Rich, uh, is he reading that? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.